0: And so we begin a new series today from first and second Timothy called Letters to the Bride. In this in these letters to Timothy, Paul writes these letters to Timothy, and he knows that these letters will be read in, in the church. And so in reality, as the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write these letters, these are letters from our Lord to the Church, his bride. So therefore, we have letters to the bride, and here as we look at these two letters specifically, First and Second Timothy, what we want to find out here about, in sort of a background, is a little bit about the church where Timothy is going to be leading or pastoring. And this at the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus is not like some churches, not like Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, not like uh, First Baptist Church of Pleasant Valley, or the uh, the, the Baptist Church of. Uh, No corruption or no difficulties or what have you. This is a corrupt church. It is a difficult church. It is a church in a corrupt culture, rather. And they are in the the struggles outside and the struggles inside. The struggles outside are that there's idolatry, there are there's paganism, and it is a wicked culture that is getting worse and worse all the time. Then also, inside this church of Ephesus, it is difficult because there's some false doctrines that have been taught, even being taught by some of the leadership within that church. As a matter of fact, back in Acts chapter 20, Paul had warned this church at Ephesus. After he left, he said that savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples. And here it is now, four years later, and that warning that Paul had given to the church at Ephesus in the book of Acts has come true. And so now, as we come to this passage, as we look at it, friends, listen. If ever there was a message for the church today... It would be this one. Because we live in a day where it is a corrupt culture around us and getting worse. And indeed, within the church universal, there are struggles where there is false doctrine, there are false prophets, and there are savage wolves that are seeking to lead the church astray. So, in chapter one here, we're looking at the topic of a good warfare. I really struggle with that since we're just beginning letters to the bride, and I'm not sure how good it is to talk about war when you're writing letters to a bride. Amen? But nevertheless, this is the passage of Scripture in this first chapter as we find a good warfare, something that we must fight the good fight for. There are some things that we must not lose in the church. It was a message for then, and it is a message for now. And so, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read for us today, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ may show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Lord, I am but your servant and your instrument, and seek to be your vessel. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower me with your spirit. That you would guide and direct all that I say here now, Lord, by your wisdom and by your grace and by your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of every person here today, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what we need to understand about the word in First Timothy 1 and your message to us. Lord, may we walk away today, if there are those here who didn't know you as Savior, that they would come away knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, being children of God. For those of us who do know you, Lord, we pray that you would use this time to stir us up to good works, to stir us up to a greater love for you and a greater passion for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in every heart and every life. Have the freedom, O God, we pray. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline in today's bulletin, and hopefully you'll follow along with us as we look at this idea of good warfare, these letters to the bride here. And so we're asking the question as we look at this first chapter, what are we to fight for? This is a spiritual fight. What are we to fight for? What is Paul saying first here that we must not lose in the church? And the very first thing that we want to look at is what we are not to lose in the church. The first thing we see here is the truth of the gospel. We're not to lose the truth of the gospel. So here's something that must not be lost in the church, and that is her purity. The purity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right after Paul's opening of the letter here, he jumps right in. And he describes the problem that the church is facing in verses 3 and in verses 4. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes. This false teaching was causing dispute. Paul says, teach no other doctrine doctrine the doctrines in which he was teaching the doctrine which is the pure doctrine the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ he was telling Timothy Timothy the message must always remain the same and beloved that must be the truth for us today as a church as well the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ must never be compromised amen it must always be the same we must always keep pure that Jesus Christ saves sinners of whom we are the chief. Amen? We are to constantly keep that pure, keep the truth of the gospel, and maintain that. Understand that through, over the centuries, the methods of how we present that gospel have changed and will continue to change. But the message, my friends, must never, ever change. It must continually be the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And nothing is to change that. We are to maintain that and hold that tight to our chest and and fight for the truth of the gospel. He tells them in verse 4, he says, as he talks about that, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. And all the commentators agree that nobody has a clue what those fables and genealogies were that they were teaching. Nobody really knows, not sure. But what we do know for sure is that they were causing disputes. They were causing disputes, which is exactly what a false doctrine does. A false doctrine causes confusion. A false doctrine causes division. A false doctrine causes people to doubt. And that is exactly what the devil desires in our church and in every church, to cause confusion, to divide people and cause people to to doubt with a false doctrine. This is what was happening here in Ephesus. In verse 6 also he tells us that he says there, From which some, these same false teachers, have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk. So they've strayed from the faith. These false teachers who are teaching this false doctrine, they have strayed from the faith. They're not staying true to the faith of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. They've turned aside, meaning they've missed the mark completely, and to idle talk. The words there for idle talk, the, the actual literal translation is, is for idle talk is vain jangling, sort of like a chain that jangles. It is futile discussions that are being ha- held. They're, and it tells us here that they are... Uh, have turned aside to this idle talk desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm in other words they have this desire to be teachers of the law they, they, they have this desire the pride and prestige that, that comes with being a teacher of the law but they do not understand what they're saying and they don't have a clue what it is that they're talking about but what they want is the position you see they want that position that of, of power. They want that position and that prestige. And so these things, these false doctrines, these false teachers are things that we must keep away from the church. False doctrines and vain discussions. And you see, friends, these things are everywhere today in our society. They're everywhere. And today we have the convenience of social media. And unfortunately we're able to easily spread these False doctrines and these false teachings by simply sharing a Facebook post or retweeting something and may not even realize that what we're retweeting or sharing is a false doctrine. Well, how do I know whether it's a false doctrine or not? How do I know if it's truth or not? Well, friends, you're to test all things, and, and I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but everything on social media is not true, all right? All right, amen? Test all things, not by what your buddy thinks, but what does the book say, amen? Test all things by the pure doctrine of the scripture. D.L. Moody once remarked, and he said, The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or spend time denouncing it, but to simply lay a straight stick alongside of it, amen? Amen? And friends, listen, as there are false doctrines and false teachings in our world today, simply lay the straight stick of the precious, pure Word of God next to it, and you'll find if it's false or not. Amen? We must maintain the truth of the gospel. We're to combat false doctrine and false teachers with pure doctrine. Now, Paul talks a little bit here, too, about this pure doctrine. In, a, in opposition to what is false, what is in opposition to what is a false teaching, false doctrine. He says, as he says in verse 4, he says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith, which is grounded in faith. And so he's saying here, in other words, pure doctrine as opposed to false doctrine and false teachers. Well, pure doctrine, whereas false doctrine causes disputes, Pure doctrine causes godly edification. Now, in the ESV, the word there for instead of godly edification it has the word stewardship. And look that up in the Greek. And really, the word really means more than these, both of these together. It means a good order. It means unity. It means a certainty. It's the opposite of division. It's the opposite of doubt. And so, a pure a, a, the pure doctrine causes this... Uh, this unity, this certainly not the division. This uh, certainly not doubt, but rather a unity. And so the purpose, he says, of this command to stick to the truth and not allow these false teaching is, he says, in verse five. Now the purpose of this commandment, which is to teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to the and, fables and gene- endless genealogies, the purpose is love. The purpose is love. Well, love, what kind of love? What is he talking about love? The purpose is love. Well, it's a love for God. It's a love that loves the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and soul. It's a love for the Lord that also is a love for other people. It's a perfect love. So pure doctrine brings about this perfect love. This love, as he tells us, is a love that... Is from a pure heart. It springs from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere, sincere faith. It springs from a pure heart. A pure heart means cleansed from sin. So, First Peter one twenty two says, "Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart." You see, having a pure heart means we've been. Our hearts are cleansed. We're cleansed from sin. Pure hearts come by obeying the truth through the Spirit, which is the gospel, and that causes us to love Jesus, to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Having that pure heart is what causes us to love. Then he says, This love is love that springs from a pure heart, but also a good conscience. What is a good conscience? A good conscience means that you can lay your head on the bed at night and not worry about where you're going to spend eternity. A good conscience is that you have to worry about what people are thinking about you because you're not doing anything to be worried about that, right? A good conscience doesn't come about by you just being a good person. No, a good conscience comes through a changed life that has taken place through something that has happened in your life. The gospel has gotten a hold of your life. Jesus has changed you and transformed you so that now your conduct matches your profession. Amen? That's what he's talking about there, this good confession. It comes only through the truth of the gospel. The pure heart comes only through the truth of the gospel. The good conscience comes only through the truth of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, The testimony of our conscience is that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. So a good conscience comes through the truth of the gospel, which spurs us toward love, loving the Lord with all of our heart, And loving others. This love is a love that springs from a pure heart, from a good conscience, but also from a genuine or sincere faith. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about the authentic heart. The sincere faith is having an authentic faith, it's a genuine faith where we're trusting in Jesus. And friends, to have that kind of faith comes from the gospel. So, Paul is saying here this the truth of the gospel must be maintained. Because the truth of the gospel, it's the gospel that leads to changed lives. It's the gospel that leads to us loving him and loving each other. And so we cannot, listen, as a church, as a letter to the bride, the spirit to the church, we cannot lose the purity of the gospel. A lot of talk about the gospel, preacher. What's the gospel? Well, I'd love to tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel? The word gospel means good news. Man, I love good news, don't you? And I love great news. And this is the best news. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus changes lives. That's the truth of the gospel. The gospel is that God is our creator. We have a creator who is God, and this God is holy. And man was created by God, and we sinned in the garden against him, and we're separate from him. But God, knowing our need, desires for us to be reconciled to him. And so what he did is he sent his son Jesus to die for us, taking the penalty of our sin on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus died, took your sin and my sin, and he went to the cross of Calvary. He died there for us. He didn't deserve to die, but he died for you and me. And he went in that, on, the, on that cross, and he buried him in a tomb. And three days later... Bless God, Jesus rose up from the dead. Amen? And because of what Jesus has done, and that he died on the cross for us, and he rose again bodily from the the dead, now we are to respond to that message in faith. That's the gospel. That's a whole lot of words. I'm not sure that I can remember all that, preacher. I'm going to see if you can remember this. Here's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. Friends, that should always be maintained in our hearts, and our lives. Fighting for the truth of that no matter what. But evidently here, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus... As we see Paul in the next couple of verses explaining the proper use of the law, evidently the false teachers were teaching some kind of false gospel that included being saved by the works of the law. Now, in the gospel, you need to understand, we have the law, but we need the law. We need the law, the the, the scriptures, to point out our sinfulness. Warren Wearsby said this, he said, The law and the gospel go together. He said, for the law without the gospel, now listen, the law without the gospel is a diagnosis without a remedy, right? Then he goes further and he says, but the gospel without the law is only the good news of salvation for people who don't believe that they need it because they've never heard the bad news of our guilt. The law and the gospel go together. Friends, we must not lose the purity of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, but we must fight against false teaching. The truth of the gospel brings us to Jesus, whom we will love, and it changes us forever. Amen? It changes us forever. We must fight for the truth of the gospel and against false doctrine. Secondly, we are to also fight for the thrust of the gospel. The thrust of the gospel. Here's something that must not be lost. Our passion of the gospel. So what is the thrust? What passion is it that we should not lose? Well, Paul tells us what the thrust of the gospel is in verse 15. Did you you notice that as we were going through? Look at verse 15 again. Here is the thrust of the gospel. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. In other words, Paul says, Hey, this is really important. Mark this down. Understand this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So, What is it that he's saying? Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The thrust of the gospel. This is important. Christ Jesus came. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. So here's the thrust of the gospel, friends, as we're looking at that passage and then look at all the passages, the verses that sort of surround that one. Paul is talking here. He sort of veered off after he's talked about the false gospel. He now talks about the grace. He talks about the thrust of the gospel, and he sees the grace of the Lord. Look at verse 13. He talks about, first off, how he was a sinner. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. This is who he was before. He was a religious man. He was a religious of religious people. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. But he says, but I was a sinner. I was a blasphemer, which is slanderer, a slanderer against God, a persecutor. Persecute somebody who pursues after. He was going after those people who claiming Jesus Christ as their Savior. He was an insolent man, he says. An insolent man means an opponent. It means violent. It means a person who mistreats people. In today's language, you say he was a bully. So Paul was a bully. He said, I was a blasphemer. I was a sinner. I was a persecutor. I was pursuing people who were going after the way. I was an insolent man. I was a bully. I was violent. I mistreated people. But then verse 14. And the grace. And the grace. And the grace. Y'all with me? Yeah. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. With faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This grace was exceedingly abundant. Paul says. I was a sinner of whom I am a chief of sinners. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. And yet... His grace, which is exceedingly abundant. The word exceedingly abundant means, the, the Greek is hyper. where we talk about hypersensitive or, or hyperactive, it's the over and above. His grace is over and above. His grace is getting what I do not deserve. His grace is unmerited favor. His grace is blessing when he did not deserve the blessing. He says, I was this sinner. And then, here's the faithful saying, the grace Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was a bully. And yet God's grace was exceedingly abundant, and he saved me. Friends, that's the thrust of the gospel, isn't it? That's what it's all about, is that he changes people's lives. He says, He saved me. He talks about his grace. He also talks about his mercy. In verse 16, he says, However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy. That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. The mercy is, Jesus was patient with him. You see, he was long-suffering towards Saul, the murderous, blaspheming, persecuting Saul. He was merciful to him. He was gracious, but he was also merciful because you see, friends, the Lord was patient with him when Paul was a, stopped in his tracks on his way to Damascus. He was headed to Damascus in order to, to to call more people out who were following Jesus, to persecute people who were following Jesus. He was out to condemned he was out to kill even people who were following jesus to drag them from their homes people who were following jesus he was on his way there when jesus stopped him in his tracks and what saul the murderer deserved at that moment was not the grace of god but he deserved a lightning bolt from the heavens to strike him dead in his tracks that's what he deserved but god he says was merciful to me and he did not give me what i deserved On that Damascus road. But rather he was patient with me. He says here's the thrust of the gospel. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. But he also says. But I want you also to see the the power of God. He says in the latter part of that that verse 16. He says. For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. A pattern, an example. Paul says, I'm going to be an example. God has saved me. Listen, he is saying, he, look, here's the deal. He said, God has, has had grace. He's shown me his grace. He's shown me his mercy. He, and he has given me what I did not deserve and not given me what I did deserve. And he has shown me as a pattern. In other words... If God has the power to change somebody like me, then he can change anybody. That's what he's saying. It's the power of the Lord. He has the power to change people. And Paul says in verse 12, and I and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has done this. Look at what he says there. I thank Christ Jesus who has enabled me because he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know what he's saying there? He said, I am so thankful because the Lord Jesus, well, he saw me and he knew me and he called me and he enabled me and he uses somebody like me. Friends, you know what that is? That's the power of God. It's the power of the gospel. It's the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. It is the thrust of the gospel. Here's the thrust that should be in our hearts and lives that we need to maintain, friends. And that is that he has saved someone like me. And he is still able to change people. That's the thrust of the gospel. Amen. He's still able to do it. He's still able to change people's hearts and lives. If he changed somebody like Paul, friends, he can change somebody like us. Amen? And if he changed somebody like us, he can change other people too. By his grace, his mercy, and his power, he is able to change us. Just like Paul. He's able to change from being appalling to appointed. Just like Paul, he's, he's able to change from being a blasphemer to a believer. He's able to change from being corrupt to being Christ-like. He's able to change us from being dead in sin to being a defender of the faith. He's able to change us from being empty on the inside to being enabled to love. He's able to change us from being faithless to faithful. He's able to change us from going after our good works to having the grace of God. He's able to change us from hopeless to having all hope. Y'all with me this morning? He's able to change us from being insolent and indignant to being indebted to Christ. He's changed us from being under judgment to being justified. Listen, He's changed us from being the king of our own life to now kneeling before the Lord. He's able to change us from being lost to being a light bearer. He's changed us from being a murderer to being a missionary. He's able to change us from being from the old nature to the new nature, amen? He's able to change us from being an oppressor of the truth to being obedient to the call. Listen, he's able to change us from being a persecutor to being a preacher, He's able to change us from quaking with fear to being quickened to life. He's able to change us from being rebellious to being righteous. He's able to change us, friends, from being a sinner to now being a saint in the eyes of God. He's able to change us from being a terror to believers to being a teller of the gospel. He's able to change us from being unclean and unchanging to now having joy unspeakable. Amen? He's able to change us from being vile to being victorious and virtuous. He's able to change us from being wicked to now being a worshiper. He's able to change us from being exalting self to now being an example of humility. He's able to change us from being yoked to the law to now yielded to Christ. Friends, listen. He's able to change us from zooming toward heaven to now being zealous for Jesus. Amen. Let me just tell you, that's the thrust of the gospel, amen? That he still changes lives. He's still able to do this. It's not a fairy tale. It's real life, amen? Those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior know the thrust of the gospel. Even if you think, well, I was a good kid... Friends, you were still headed for hell, even as a good kid. And God changed you and gave you hope and now gives you entrance into heaven. Walking with our God and Savior. Amen? Amen. He changes people. This thrust, this passion, friends, listen. It must never be lost. It must never be lost. But may it press in on us and press us on and cause us to do as, as it caused Paul to do. I love this. As Paul was talking about how he had been changed, how he used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. How he says, you know, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to whom I am chief. How he had mercy, his grace was exceedingly. But he then comes to verse 17 he says... He just burst forth in praise. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He couldn't help himself, friends. And when we have the thrust of the gospel within us, we cannot help ourselves but to praise him. Amen. Because of what Jesus has done. He has changed us. It is the thrust of the gospel. We must not lose the thrust of the gospel. We must not lose the passion of the gospel. Fighting to maintain it and fighting against apathy and fighting against an unconcern for the lost. We fight to maintain the truth of the gospel. We fight to maintain the thrust of the gospel. And then thirdly, here's the third thing. We must fight to maintain the trust of the gospel. What are you talking about? Well, in verse 11, Paul mentions that he had been given a trust. He had been given a stewardship. In verse 11, he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul had this stewardship. It's the stewardship of the gospel. Jesus had appointed him. He had saved him and given him the gospel to proclaim to people. He'd given him this gospel, this message of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is and what he had done. And Paul fought the good fight. He kept the faith. And now he says to Timothy in verse 18, watch this. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Here's the, I'm now charging you with this same trust. I have this stewardship. I have this trust that God has given me. And now I'm handing that over to you too so that you know that you have this trust also. You have this stewardship as well, Timothy. I'm charging you with the same trust. And so with this same trust, he's saying, you need to remember something. He says in verse 18, I, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He's saying, Timothy, you need to remember something. You need to remember that God has had his hand on you. Now here, we don't know whether these prophecies that were made over Timothy was at his ordination or his commissioning, but we know at some point people saw something in Timothy's life and said, God's going to use you. God's got his hand on you. And so he's saying, you need to remember that God has had his hand on you, Timothy. God's done something in your life. He says, you need to remember that. So Here's the trust of the gospel. Remember this, but also know that you have a responsibility you're to wage the good warfare. Verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some have, have rejected. Having this faith and a good conscience, you're to wage the good warfare. You have a responsibility, Timothy. I have, given, I have this trust. You now have this trust. You need to wage the good warfare. You need to fight the good fight of keeping the faith. You need to stay faithful to the gospel, believing the truth and passing that truth along to other people. It's a responsibility to keep the faith, but also a responsibility to keep a good conscience. In other words, you're to live that life faithfully and live out the gospel. That's the trust that Paul says, I've been given, I hand off to you, now you also must do the same. It's the trust of the gospel, keeping the faith, living the faith, living the gospel, having a good conscience. You've been given this charge to remember God's done something in your life, responsibility, fight the good fight of faith, keep the faith, have the good conscience, but also know that it's going to be a rough road. He says it's not always going to be easy. Did y'all know that? Being a believer doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. There are difficult times, aren't they? Amen? There are times when it is tough. We don't always understand everything that's going on, but we know that it's going to be tough. Paul says it's not always going to be easy. He said it's going to be a rough road. It's not, easy going, it's not always going to be easy, and sometimes there will be tough decisions that you'll have to make. And Paul had cut these two men off, verse 20, of whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. He said, I had to cut these off from fellowship so that they would learn to trust Jesus and to depend on him. And it was not an easy decision. Listen, friends, sometimes we will also need to make tough decisions in order to keep the faith and maintain a good conscience. Following Jesus is not always easy. When we said yes to Jesus, he didn't tell us in his word that follow me and it'll be springtime and kisses forever. Did he? No. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Right? It's not always going to be easy. But it will always be be worth it. Amen? It will always be worth it. Paul gave Timothy this trust. And Timothy gave the church at Ephesus. And they pointed pointed people to Jesus Who pointed people to Jesus? 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 Who pointed you to Jesus? Amen? A trust has been given from Paul, from Jesus to Paul to Timothy to the churches all the way down. Christians telling Christians, the people who need to know about Christ to become Christians all along the journey. So guess what? We now have this trust. We have the trust of the gospel. It's been passed down from generation to generation to generation to you. Yesterday I was reading in the Richmond Times and there. Uh, editorial page, and they were talking about the downward trend in faith, and we've seen that in the papers before, but they took it a little bit further, and they quoted one of the professors at the, the Billy Graham School at the Wheaton College at East, this past Easter who said that if this trend continues in the downward spiral of faith, that means that we only have 23 Easters left to where there would be no more Christians. 23 Easters that's just one generation away you know friends in reality that's not news at all that's always been the case hasn't it the truth of the gospel friends we must pass that on because you're always just one generation away One generation away from heresy, one generation away from apostasy, unorthodoxy, and even extinction. But we have this trust, and we are to pass it along to the people around us, to meet people where they are, and to point them to Jesus. Amen? We have this trust. And since it's Father's Day, Let me just plug a little bit here. Fathers, it is your responsibility to teach the next generation that lives within your home about this Jesus. You need to pass your faith on to them. I don't know about that, preacher. I don't know if I can do that. That's your job. Nope, 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 nope. Listen, this is something you need to understand, you need to know. You're passing on some kind of faith to them anyway. Amen? What your faith is now, they're watching you do it. So, whatever that faith is, they're going to pick that up. You're passing on a faith. The thing is, friends, make sure you're passing on the right faith faith in Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, the thrust of the gospel. For you have this trust that God has given you for this time and this moment. Train your children up to love Jesus. Let your children see you praying. Let your children see you reading the word. Let your children see you wanting to come to church. Amen. Let them see you worshiping the Savior. And pass that faith on to them. You have this trust. We must wage the good warfare. It is a spiritual war. But maintain the truth of the gospel, the thrust of the gospel, the trust of the gospel. And as the bride of Christ, we must not lose the purity, the passion, or the purpose of the gospel. Because we've been given this trust. And we must maintain it and pass it along. So three things real quick and we'll be done. Three things to do. Number one, grow in your understanding of God's word. Grow in your understanding of God's word. Believe it or not, we do not know everything that's in God's word. We do not understand it all. We're still learning it as we go along. Amen? We're still learning. Grow in your understanding of God's word. Make a plan now. If you're not, if you're not consistently reading God's word, make a plan now to read and meditate on God's word listen to what God's, listen, I understand and I know some of you listen to podcasts and some of you listen to different things and that's great, but do not let that take the place of God's word amen, that should take the the precedence, that should be the priority, it's okay to listen to the, the podcast and those things but make sure you're reading God's word, why, because you might hear something that you need to lay down the straight stick next to and say, is this the truth or not, amen and you need to know God's word Secondly, recall God's grace. Oh, I love this. Recall God's grace in your life because I'm here to tell you, God has been gracious to you. Amen? He's been gracious to me. We've experienced his grace. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the grace of God in your life that he has saved you from your sin and given you hope. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you also need to understand something that just by the virtue and the fact that you are here and breathing, God has been gracious to you. He has still given you one more chance to say yes to Jesus. Recall God's grace in your life. And friend, as you recall God's grace, share it with somebody this week. What's God done for you? Tell somebody. And then thirdly, be grounded in this truth. Always remember, God loves you. God knows you. He loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. Friends, don't ever let that get out of your mind. Don't let that ever get away from you. Know it and believe it and live it. Amen? If you don't know this Jesus, he loves you. He's calling you to make that step of faith, to trust him. Acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a Savior, turning from our sin, turning to Jesus Christ, embracing believing that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave and professing Him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. If you've never taken that step of faith today, we invite you in just a moment as we're going to stand and sing an invitation hymn. If you've never trusted Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you come, and Pastor Joe and myself will be glad to pray with you as you invite the Lord into your life. But Christian also, as, as you know Jesus as your Savior, May you make the commitment today, may you make the commitment today that you will maintain the truth of the gospel, that you will not let apathy take over and you will maintain the thrust of the gospel and you'll recognize your stewardship in the trust of the gospel and you'll be faithful to pass it along to your children and to the people that you come in contact with day by day by day, living it out and telling people about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, We pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives, Lord, and we surrender ourselves to you afresh and new this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in us as we come to this invitation. Lord, how grateful we are for you saving us by the the gift of your Son, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, and Lord, as we are here today and we know of our salvation, we pray that you'd refresh our hearts, and let us fall in love with you all over again today. May you renew that passion within us. and May we renew our, our decision and desire to maintain the truth of the gospel, the thrust, and the trust. And God, I pray that you'd also be with those here today who may not know you, who just need to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're dealing with people for other reasons today. Lord, may you have your way in every heart and in every life. Lord, we would surrender ourselves to you to be the people you desire for us to be and to walk out here knowing that you have changed us, that you came to save sinners of whom we are chief. And, Lord, we are thankful for that salvation, and we praise you. And now, Lord, have your way in every heart and life, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing, Thank you, God, for saving me. You come as God's dealing with your heart this morning.